You'll please take your Bibles and turn to Malachi chapter 1. We had a little break with Coleman and Rebecca last week, and we are moving forward. And as we have answers, we will definitely keep you abreast of things as they come to our attention and will be brought before you and let you know. So please don't think because there's silence, things aren't happening. Things are moving Um, But we're back to our study in the book of Malachi. We come to a a very hard passage, I think. It's a a passage that, one, you have to ask the question of, how do you make this positive? Um, Because the the wording here in the scripture is very harsh. And so uh, we're going to try to look at it this morning. But I want you to understand that, again, there is a, a department in the Department of State called the Office of Protocol. And they're the ones who are charged with dealing with the welcoming of the heads of state. And so over the years, there's many things that have happened and you get many different things. And so, again, because the president is an employee of the government, he's not allowed to receive a gift over $300, $390 in value. And so every time he's given a gift, the gift has to be taken back to the State Department, to the Office of Protocol. They give a value to it, and then usually it's put into the archives, and it's usually given back to the president in regards to his library as a thing to kind of a showpiece and stuff like that. But there are some things that they can get, and they can buy back from the government and give to other people and different things. But there are some weird things that have been given to some of the presidents and some of the things that we have given that are weird. And so a couple of them, there was a jeweled sword that was given that was worth $88,000. There was a ping pong table given from England that had both the crust of the United States and England, and they actually played a a tennis match, I mean a ping pong match on the table to some uh, local school kids, and they lost, the presidents lost. There was crocodile insurance that was given to one of our presidents. Rollerblades. There was a carpet that was given that had the face of the Clintons stitched into it. There was someone who received a photo of himself, one that had a ceramic dog dog bowl given to him. But we've also given things like whale's teeth and potatoes to other countries. There are some weird things that go on, and some of them, I think, are meant to be jests. I think some are serious ways of sliding the other country. And I say that because what's happening here is I want you to take that kind of office of protocol and kind of direct it towards what are we giving to God? Do we really give God our best? So I want you to begin to look with me at verse 6 through the end of the chapter. Hear the word of the Lord. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I'm a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you. O priests who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. For when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. 
For I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I, not, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. From, from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name in a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, as we come to your word, we need the Holy Spirit to give us eyes to see and hearts to understand. And Father, it's easy to think of this being a passage that applied only to the people back at that time. But Lord, what are the principles that we give to you, the seconds or the leftovers? So Father, you allow the Holy Spirit to come and convict, but Lord, may we recognize and understand more than anything that we respond and we give you worship because of your great love for us. And so, Father, truly change us to look more like our Savior today than when we came. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to see that we have three very specific things that God deserves our best in. And the first one is we, he is, deserves the best of our honor. And so there is the... Oops. So the first thing we understand is that people are dishonoring and they're despising God. And so he begins with the understanding that there is a father and a master. And he says, isn't earthly fathers, aren't they the ones that are honored? And aren't earthly masters the ones that are um, brought before and they're treated with respect? And he says, I am a father. I'm the father. I am the master. And so where is... My honor. Where is my fear? Because he's saying, again, last, or two weeks ago, we talked about the great love. He starts by answering the questions, and our questions a lot of times when we look at God and go, do you really love us? Do you really care? And God says, do you not understand how greatly I care for you? How much I have done for you? How much I have given for you? And when we see how much he has done for us, there's a true worship in response to that love. And so we have this dishonored and despising that's going on between the people and the God. And so you know how the people respond? They, they respond a lot of times how we do. Prove it. How have we despised you? How have we dishonored you? And God says, because you've come in contempt of who I am. You've had contempt for my table. And he says, would you have taken these same sacrifices and gone to your governor and given these sacrifices to your governor? And again, we all understand that, right? When you want something done, you're nice to those people. And we know those people who are around. With, they're only nice to you when they want something. And he says, when you go to your governor and you want something and you want his approval or you want his, his, um, his understanding or whatever it might be, he want, you want a, a positive result for the questions that you want, you don't take the leftover. You don't take the despise. You take the good stuff. You want to be accepted. You want to be recognized. You want to be uh, seen as giving the best to that governor. 
And so God says, would you do that to your governor? But then when you come to God, you give me the leftover and the despise. You give me, in essence, roadkill upon my table. See, don't just look just at those people. And I know it says you priests, and we'll get to that. But it's not just about the pastor messing up. It's not just about the elders messing up. Remember, Hebrews is very clear. We are all priests. And so he comes, and so I think we need to ask the question in regards to God, are we being contemptible? And again, I, I want to be very, very careful here because, again, it's, he loves us because he chooses to love us. But there is a response to that love. And let me ask a question. When you begin to look at things, when you compare the time that you spend watching TV, how does that compare to the time that you spare in the Word? The, the time that you spend on your hobbies, how much time do you spend in prayer? How much time do you spend at the beach or the activities that you enjoy as compared to worship? Now, again, God doesn't love us because of what we do, but how do we respond to the love that God has given to us? And so it's something that we all need to look at and say, okay, am I giving God my best or am I giving God my leftovers? See, what was happening was that there were imperfect sacrifices. And one of the things we have to understand in regards to sacrifices where there were just many sacrifices that were given. It wasn't just sin offerings. It wasn't just you gave a sacrifice when you sinned. There were wave offerings. There were times of celebration. There were a whole bunch of offerings that were given throughout the year. And so there were so many offerings that people started probably getting to the place of saying, hey, this is too costly. This is too often. You know, it's, it's probably sometimes where we get in our churches today, day and age. So you want my tithe, but you also want me to give to the mission trip. You want me to give food to people uh, that are sick. You want me to get, give extra money for books for my own, for Bible study coming out of the church. This is too much. You guys are asking for money too often. You should just be satisfied with what you get. And so we have this thing that's going on, and so this blemished sacrifices that are coming. Listen, obviously it's not even fit for the market. They can't go sell this. It's not even something that they keep to put on their own table. It's that lowly of a sacrifice. And there might be a part where it's like, well, so what? Well, there were expectations, and the priests, more than anybody, understood the expectations. Because at this point, the, the priests represented the people to God, and then God to people. So you would bring in your sacrifice, and you would come to the priest, and you would worship your sin, or whatever offering was being offered for that time. You would whisper it to the priest, and the priest would offer it upon the altar. And then he would whisper back to you, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord be gracious to you. And there's a blessing that came from God receiving that sacrifice. And so the, the priest knew this. Deuteronomy 17.1 says this, You shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep in which is a blemish, any defect whatever, for that is an abomination to the Lord your God. So the priests knew this, and yet they allowed these blemished animals to come. And what it does is it means that it really became of little value. 
I mean, we see in this passage to where they're even starting to, to, to steal sheep from other people and bringing it in to give it as a sacrifice. And listen, when sin becomes um, just cheap, then it doesn't make that big of a deal to us. But I am telling you that sin is the most costly thing. It costs Jesus Christ his life because he had to become the one perfect sacrifice to be acceptable to God. And so our response to who Christ is, our response to God should be one of worship. True worship. But what's happening here is God gets to the place where he says, close the door. You all are worshiping me in such a way that it is better for me to close the doors to the temple than to receive what you are giving to me. Who is willing to step up and to shut the doors and be honest and say, hey, let's just be done with this? Close the doors. Martin Lloyd Jones gives of what's a famous example. He says there was a farmer who had a cow and the cow had two identical, uh, uh, had two cattle. One was red, one was white. And so um, the farmer said, one will dedicate to the Lord and one will keep for ourselves. Well, some time went on and then uh, one of the calves died. And so the farmer came in to the wife and he said, well, the Lord's calf died. And she said, we didn't decide which one was the Lord's and which one was ours. And he said, God's died, ours lived. See, that's tongue in cheek, but what's happening is there's a mocking of God. And a lot of times we do that. And again, we do say statements like this, God should be happy that I'm doing anything at all. He should just be satisfied. Right? Don't we get that way sometimes? Pastor, don't ask me to do anything else. You should just be satisfied that I'm coming on Sunday morning. Just be satisfied. I didn't have to come here on Sunday morning. Just be happy. See, we get into this mocking of God, and a lot of times that comes from half-hearted worship, because that's what they're doing. The people are going through the motions. They're doing their externals. But they're not giving their best. They're giving their seconds. They're giving their leftovers. And sometimes we can find ourselves giving grudging praise, reluctant worship. Because this is beneath us. We begin to grade things. I didn't like Elder Don's prayer. I didn't like McCartney's rocking song. I'm going to give today's worship a six. See, what happens when that begins to happen, and that's when God's people respond, it says that the enemies of God begin to blaspheme. Who is this God that even the Christians don't even worship him with their whole hearts? See, Jesus comes and he says we need to worship in spirit and truth because it's an issue of the heart. It's not found in the externals. It's where Jesus says to the the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. He says this, 
Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you will worship the Father. For you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. For God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you and him. See, Jesus is saying that there is worship that comes and it comes through the heart. See, it's not in the place and it's not in the form. We're supposed to worship in spirit and in truth, which means, and I don't have a problem with people saying, I have a preference for this style of worship. But we can never say, I never get anything out of a worship service, whether it's Catholic, whether it's a guitar out in the desert or something like that, where the name of God is preached. All worship should be given to God in spirit and truth. And it's not just about money, because a lot of times this is what it's brought down to. Oh, so what you're asking, pastor, is you want more money. That's not what I'm saying. There's an example of an African woman um, when she came and was saved, and they were plastering around the offering plate, and she didn't know what was going on. She saw people putting in money, but she was poor, and she didn't have anything to give. So she stopped the service. She places the offering plate on the floor, and she stepped into it. And she in the middle of the service, said, this is my name, and I give God all of me. That's what God's looking for. He wants your whole heart. He wants your whole being. He wants everything. He wants you to come and to worship him because he says he's going to receive worship from all nations, not just Israel. He's going to receive it from all nations. Psalm 86 Verse 9 says this, All nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and they shall glorify your name. It's Psalm 145 that Dave read for us. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Is that where we're coming? Do people see us? Is, do people know that we're more in love with Jesus than the bumper stickers that we have on our car? That the teams that we root for, whether winning or not winning, the colleges we place upon the back of our car, the, the, the things that we do for our families, do they know that Jesus is the most important thing in our life? Because all nations, tribes, and tongues are going to come and they're going to worship Jesus. So we're supposed to honor him, we're supposed to worship him, and then we're supposed to give him our praise. See, a lot of times, if we're honest, we become wearied with church, and some would even say bored. Nell Postman famously said this, we're amusing ourselves to death in this generation. There's also another statement that says familiarity breeds contempt. And that can be true. We can become so familiar that we become wearied with God. We become bored with who he is. We become bored with this. There's an article in Psychology Today, um, as I was doing this study, that said familiarity can also promote a deeper and a greater love. And those that are in 
good marriages and relationships that have been there for years or friendships that you've had for years know that familiarity, that understanding of who the person is at the very core of who they are, sin and all, can breed more and deeper love. Not contempt. The author of the article, I think, gave a great uh, insight This guy is not a Christian. He said, what I think what happens when people become contemptible in their relationships is it becomes they give each other mediocrity. They give just enough to get by. I think sometimes that's what we do with God. Because it becomes monotonous, right? Remember, during this period, the priest would have been dealing, I mean, How much blood did this man have to have on his body every day? Next. 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 How much longer? Next. 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 But so also the people. I've already given the best sheep I had. God wants me to give a second one? And a third? Where's the the mangy ones? We're the ones that are ready to die. Let's take, what does it matter to God if he gets the leftovers? I'm still going through the motions. I'm still, I'm still giving him a sacrifice. He should just be happy he gets anything. But he's not getting my best. And when we become bored, sometimes we become disdainful and we begin to despise even the God and it says here in the scripture that we snort at it (laughs) I am so sick and tired of Northside tired of the pastor tired of the elders tired of small groups tired of this tired of that or maybe it's big church Maybe it's God himself. See, what I think truly has happened for a lot of people is we no longer expect to have an experience with a living God in the service. I say this over and over and over again. We come to an audience of one. So we don't come looking to raise our scorecards. We come to say, was God pleased by how I worshiped today? Did I worship him in spirit and truth? Did I worship him with my whole heart and with my mouth as well? Was God glorified and pleased with my worship today? Because we respond to his great love that he gave to us in Jesus Christ. And so we meet with the living God, but for these people, it just simply had become stories from the past. I mean, so what it, it was a big deal for Moses. It was a big deal for Joshua. It was a big deal for Elijah, but God hasn't parted the Red Sea for me. God didn't answer my prayer for this. People still die. People are still sick. And again, we get back to where we were two weeks ago. God, do you really love me? Do you really care? And so we become resentful, unsatisfied, and maybe, even if we're honest, we hate God. And see, God responds to us even at those 
points. And he says, what needs to happen is we need to meet with the living God. Not religion, not spirituality. I remember Joe Novenson uh, talking one time, and he said, we need to come to worship with crash helmets on. And his point being is because we come into the sanctuary where the living God meets us face to face. And we're undone. And we don't have to crawl. We don't have to bow our heads like in Islam. We don't have to have reminders and bells and horns and all that kind of stuff. We get to come because of Jesus Christ. And we get to walk into this aisle. And we need to call him dad. And we get to speak to him. And we don't have to go through a priest. We don't have to go through someone. All of us get to come into the presence of God and say, Dad, I need you to hear me. And the thing is that he does. And sometimes we get ticked off when he answers our prayers. God, I want the faith of Moses. Okay, I'm going to send you 40 years into the desert. Now, wait a minute. Let me rephrase that. I want the faith of Moses without the extra 40 years. Doesn't work that way. God wants all of us because he is the king, the Lord. And God is very jealous for his name. He tells us very clearly, remember the... The first four of the Ten Commandments is about him, his name, his honor. And so are we as jealous for him? Because he says his name is going to be great and feared among all the nations. So by the way that we live by the way that we worship, by the way that we honor, by the way that we praise, are people going to know that great is our Lord and he is worthy to be praised. So what's our application? Where are we? Again, we don't do any of this to earn God's love. We do it in response to God's love. And he says, I loved you because I loved you because I loved you before the foundation of the earth. And the more that we recognize the gift that God has given to us in Jesus Christ, the more we respond by giving him all honor, all worship, all praise. We don't go through the motions. It's why we take this seriously. It's why we come to the table and, and you hear the words and we fence the table and we say only Christians should come and only Christians who understand the forgiveness found in Christ and him alone should come. This isn't just a snack going to lunch. And it's not just flippant. This is the most costly table that's ever been set. Because it cost Jesus Christ his very life. So let us come giving him honor, worship, and praise that he is rightfully due. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we do come to your table and we're going to taste and we're going to see the gospel in front of us,
Lord, it is too easy if we're honest to become bored with the gospel message. Jesus died on the cross, big deal. But it's the greatest deal that's ever happened in all of history and will ever happen. And so, Father, may we never snort and never become bored. Lord, may we not come and give you our second best, but Lord, that we would come and give you the very best that we have so that you might be glorified and honored here and around the world. And Father, we pray all this in the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit that's still given to us today. And we pray it in the name of your Son, who even right now, is interceding for us on our behalf before you. So, Father, hear our prayers. Answer them. And then, Lord, may we truly glorify and honor you forevermore. For this we pray in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen.